we constantly have to deal with problems in our life. There are challenges. But if you have something you really care about and you're using your knowledge and your skills and your life experience, that's a way to not only find purpose, but to express it. You're, you're sort of expressing or you're living up to your purpose. So how do you want to use the life that has been given to you? If you can answer that, <laughs> you've found your purpose. Welcome to Find Joy with Joanne podcast. I am your host, the confidence and visibility queen, Joanne Chan. I am a self-made entrepreneur who went from a nobody to receiving an outstanding leadership award on stage in Dubai, being named as a successful person in my home country and speaking on stages all over the world, both virtually and in person. Now, I am on a mission to share what I have learned and what I have done to get here to empower other female entrepreneurs and leaders to do the same, to help them skill their own visibility, confidence, authority to make a bigger impact and income. Whether you are new to the business world or feeling unsure about public visibility or you want to be seen and heard in a way that doesn't feel icky but authentic to you, my membership program, The Confident Visibility and Authority Accelerator, is designed to help female entrepreneurs with online-based service businesses show up confidently, sell authentically, and stand out as the authority in their industry. You will learn my tested roadmap that is not one-size-fits-all that supports many business models so you can become visible in the world in your own unique way. Our mentorship weaves together personal development, alignment practices, and modern business strategies. You will do the inner work, strategic development work, energetic work, and get implementation support to clear the blocks in order to up-level your visibility, confidence, authority, impact, and income. If you want to find out more about my membership program and see if you are a perfect fit, visit the link www.joyanchan.com/cvaa. Again, that is www.joyanchan.com/cvaa. CVAA. You can also find the link in the show notes below. And every Wednesday, we are giving you access to the world's best and brightest minds of business in their fields on our show every Wednesday. Listen in as these leaders impart their wisdom, inspiration, and stories to empower you to become the confident leader of your business and life and find joy in everything you do and create. Now, without further ado, Let's dive into today's episode. Our special guest today took a week-long trip to Tokyo in 1977 at the age of five and that left a lasting impression on him that would eventually see him return to Japan 18 years later. After being awarded a one-year restaurant management trainership with one of Japan's largest restaurant chains in 1995, he fell in love with Japan once again and ended up living there for 10 years. Today, he is a Japanologist, researcher, solopreneur, and author of Ikigai Can't Feel a Life Worth Living. He's also the founder and coach of Ikigai Tribe, a small community of educators, psychologists, coaches, and trainers who serve others using the Ikigai concept. And his ultimate goal is to share the wonders and wisdom of Japanese culture to a global audience. So he's here today to empower you with the truth about Ikigai and the path forward to enjoying a life that feels worth living. So guys, help me and welcoming my new friend, the author of Ikigai Khan, Nicholas Kemp. This episode is sponsored by Get the Law of Attraction. If you have been listening to this podcast, you will know that I am a big believer of the universe and the law of attraction. Get the Law of Attraction is a spiritual and inspirational company that gives you something really good like chocolate chip cookies to feed your soul and your mind every single day. They provide daily Instagram posts and reels on the universe, gratitude, spirituality for your headache life. They also have an educational course on the Law of Attraction and Gratitude Journal and their links are in the show notes below. Go to their website and use promo code 
Joyan J O Y A N when you sign up to get twenty five dollars off. Thank you so much for that introduction, Joanne. It's a real joy to to meet you and yeah, be, make a, a new friendship with you. So thank you so much for having me on your show. Thank you for being here. Thank you. So like I said, you know, I'm really excited to record this um episode with you because you are the very first guest to actually talk about Ikigai, this concept that everyone probably have you know heard before it's all about finding your life purpose like the one thing right that is like why you are here but I think reading your bio reading your story and knowing what you do I think that is not really the truth the first place that I want to start with you is you know talk to me and my listeners about ikigai like this this word or this concept because I'm sure I don't want to assume that everyone knows right so for people who have never heard of this term or word or this concept like ikigai so to make sure people know exactly what this con- this conversation is going to be about, um, can you first, in simpler terms, right, maybe just one sentence, how would you define Ikigai? Sure. So Ikigai, obviously it's a, it's a Japanese word, but Ikigai are the things in your life, so relationships, experiences, um, hobbies, aspects of your work that make you feel that life is worth living. So they're the things that are, it's very exper- experiential. So it's usually some experience and then you evaluate it to be either meaningful or fulfilling. And of course, that can not only be happy things, but it can also be things that challenge you, cause you to grow. And the, the best way to think about it is it's a spectrum. So it can be something small, perhaps your first cup of coffee in the morning can be your hobby but it can also be the pursuit of a life-defining goal. So it is a spectrum rather than a sweet spot, but purpose is very much tied to the concept. Love that. Thank you so much for explaining, uh, first and foremost. Now, <laughs> I want to talk about how did you discover Ikigai? And you know, because you are obviously not a Japanese, right? Yes, <laughs> but you moved yeah. to Japan. So how did you first discover Ikigai and how it then changed your life and let you to eventually do what you do today and you went roll a book how did you first discover <laughs> yeah Ikigai? i actually discovered it very casually so as, as you mentioned I, I went to japan when i was five in 1977 but then i returned 17 or 18 years later when i was 23 and i was teaching english and i was starting a new job at a new school and I was, you know, young and ambitious and I was sort of showing off my Japanese, talking to my Japanese co-workers and we're on a lunch break and this girl just casually said, you know, oh, Nick, what's your ikigai? And I'm like, ikigai, what's that? And she's like, oh, it's, it's, it's your purpose in life. It's, the, you know, it's the reason why you battle on through life and the things that make life worth living. And I was like, wow, you have one word to articulate all that so I was sort of amazed they had one word and at that time I was learning Japanese so I was really inspired by the word and I remember going into work the next day thinking oh I've got to talk to this co-worker again about this word and I was yeah sort of disappointed to discover she'd been transferred to a different school and I couldn't um, talk to her again and this is almost pre-internet uh, was just when the internet was um, taking off. So we didn't really have the web and there was no information I could find on books or anything at the time. This is mid nineties. And then, yeah, 20 years later, I started seeing uh, a Venn diagram that maybe some of your listeners have, have heard or uh, not have heard, but have seen. Um, then a best-selling book came out, which a lot of people love and offers, um, I guess, a, a perspective more related to the lives of centenarians. But yeah, I was seeing all this content and thinking, wow, all this content online is very much perhaps a Western lens. We like to romanticize um, Eastern concepts and we don't always take the time to appreciate them or learn about them deeply. And because I lived in Japan for 10 years, I I sort of knew, well, Japanese would never define a word with a Venn diagram and Ikigai is something broader and deeper. So that was about four years ago and I started this journey of researching it and I thought the best thing would be 
to start a podcast like you and interview Japanese researchers and authors and also non-Japanese who had studied the concept. Yeah, so that's sort of, yeah, sort of started from a very casual conversation and now it's a big part of my life, yeah. Wow, thank you so much for sharing that. And um, I assume that because based on what you said, it seems like all Japanese, they they know this word, they understand this concept like very deeply because like just someone casually you like ask you what is your ikigai it means that they like everyone knows about it or everyone talks about it so is that true like all japanese they really know what ikigai really is yes so so they would understand it as you know just a word they they grow up with it's not something they talk about themselves that much it's something they they obviously feel so ikigai is something you feel and for many japanese it would be something very humble or small it might be their pets their hobby um, often grandparents will say, you know, my, my grandchildren are my higai. So it's it's not, they don't use it the same way in the West, where in the West we're like, oh, what an amazing word. And, you know, we, we love to make videos and blog posts about it. And that's, again, coming from that Western lens. So that's what makes the word fascinating. But if we do look at Japanese culture, we probably know they have many words like this that articulate a philosophy or a psychology or an aspect of, you know, unique culture that to them, again, it's something they grow up with, but we think it's fascinating because they have these amazing words like wabi-sabi or um, kintsugi, and they're often related to some sort of cultural practice like uh, traditional pottery. But in the, in the West, we tend to <laughs> frame them as, um, you know, self-actualization or perhaps um, interior design. So they kind of get lost in translation a bit. There was, I actually thought about, is there one word unique to Australian culture that would articulate something Australians would understand intuitively and yet we never really talk about. And the only word I can think of is mateship. So we have this word mateship and, you know, we're famous for the expression, good day, mate. But behind that is this term mateship and it's sort of part of our, our identity. But if you asked 10 Australians, what's mateship? You'd have 10 different answers. So I think if you asked Japanese, define ikigai, what's ikigai? They'd probably be very hesitant to define it because it is something that just they they grow up with. And then if they gave an example, be very humble. But behind it, there is this body of research from the 1960s to current day authors who relate ikigai to positive psychology or eudaimonia. So it's it is strongly related to um, well-being. And that's where I'm really interested in, in studying how, how this one word can represent uh, well-being, but also it's unique in, in that it's used very casually. Yeah. Right, right. Okay, to be very honest, I'm still not very sure what <laughs> this guy still is. So I'm going to ask another question, right? Because when I was doing my research, I, also, I always do my research before I interview a guest. So you said you were shocked to discover the Venn diagram as the Ikigai concept because it's not the Venn diagram, you know, like showing you how to find your life purpose or become successful in life. It's not about the pursuit of one single purpose, yes. like life purpose that we all know about, right? Um, like we see in media or like even the book itself, right? So if Ikigai is not really this popular Venn diagram or like your one life purpose, as we all know, then why is it really? Yeah. Like, why is it really? So it's these things that make your life feel worth living where, for example, you don't need to be paid. So that Venn diagram saying it's you know, something you're good at, that the world needs, um, that you can be paid for and that yeah. you, you love. Um, so love, yeah. it could be just something you love. So maybe, you know, what's something you enjoy doing? What's something you like to do in your own time or do you, I mean, do you have a hobby you're passionate about? Podcasting. Podcasting, yeah. So maybe, yeah, podcast. I love podcasting. I have a podcast and I don't really, yeah, I don't really generate money from it. I'm not trying to. I have these meaningful conversations. So it could yeah. be, yeah, a meaningful conversation. 
it's something that makes you feel alive. It make, it's something that makes you feel you can express your true self. Um, okay. And it's something you, you enjoy. But there's also this perspective. It could be one of your, you know, one of your life's challenges that helps you grow and overcome, you know, overcome a challenge. And then you discover your potential and you, you realize, oh, I'm, I am capable I can grow and you realize oh, I can do things I, I never thought possible. But the, the best way to probably think about it is what makes you feel that life is worth living. And so if you can have an answer to that, you know, it's connecting with new people, it's making friends, it's recording podcasts, it's learning about, you know, Japanese culture. So for anyone, for everyone, it's, it is unique um, and it's strongly tied to values. So for me, it's friendship, it's music, it's it's learning. I'm a lover of learning. So these these things are my ikigai. Yeah. Right. So can I put it bluntly to say that it's just like your passion? <laughs> it it can be, but it doesn't have to be something big. Yeah, it doesn't have to be something overly ambitious. So it can also be the small things. So, you know, how do you how do you relax, Joanne? What what do you do to relax? Meditation. Meditation. As you could go, I don't know. Yeah. And maybe you love, perhaps you love traveling, perhaps you love yeah, food. Yeah. So you, you probably have all these things in your life that really make it, you know, worthwhile yeah. and worth living. So they are all my ikigais. I don't really have just one. Yeah, you can, can have, have you can have more than one. And it will change over time. So maybe you're young, you're, you're pursuing yeah. your career, so your work's probably really important to you and connecting to people. Um, but maybe as you get older, maybe, I don't know if, if you're married, but maybe you'll, you'll get married, you might have children, and that will become the focus of your life. And maybe, yeah, having a, a partner or children might be your guy. And then mm. for people who are much older, they often reflect on their life. So even their memories, their happy memories, their past roles, their, their memories of their past role can be a source of ikigai. So it's, it's sort of multidimensional. But it, yeah, it can be something small and it can be a passion. And obviously your, your passion is the, the podcast and, and coaching and speaking. So imagine that makes your life feel worth living, helping others. So that would also be a strong source of ikigai. So it is, it is tied to purpose. For sure, I think um, we we all want to feel a sense of purpose that we're we're adding either we're contributing, and from that yeah. contribution we have a sense of significance. So it's very much tied to um, your identity. And if you feel oh, I'm I'm adding value to the world, then you will feel ikigai. So it's something you feel, and actually the the kanji behind me, and not everyone will see this, but that's kan, and so. My book is Ikigai Khan because Ikigai is something you feel. So that's probably something we should emphasize. It's not something you achieve. It's not a, a goal to achieve. It's not a destination to get to. It's something you feel. And so then you feel that life is worth living. Wow, mm. I love that. And I, you know, I keep <laughs> seeing that, you know, I keep staring at the word because I, I do read Mandarin, um, and it's a Mandarin word as well because, you know, Japanese, but I don't... I don't read or I don't speak Japanese. So I already know that is the word, right? Uh, it's like feeling, it feels, right? Um, yeah. So actually, that is the other question that I want to know, but later we'll talk about that. But now, can you give me some examples or like big examples of Ikigai for, for Japanese? Because I think this word, you know, derived from Japanese culture. So what are some of the examples that you can give us? Sure. So I've asked quite a few people. So... Someone told me for them it was camping with their friends. Um, another friend told me it was design, design work. They're a, a designer. So it is, for some, it is part of their work. And he works with a, a boutique sake company and he's, he's got this really good relationship with this company and they trust him. So he can pretty much design anything he likes. Um, for others, it's... You know, it's their sport. They love soccer. They pursue that on the weekend. Um, 
for older Japanese, it will often be obviously that, you know, their children, grandchildren. And there's actually a, a doc, this will sound really strange. I remember watching a documentary and, and maybe, you know, Japan as, as a country, it has all these beautiful aspects of uh, culture, but they also have a lot of problems. Um, they have something called um, hikikomori, which is um, these people who shut themselves in for, for months or years, uh, young men. But there's also a lot of, um, it's called kodokushi, it's dying alone. So you have all these uh, elderly people, usually men, dying alone, and often they're, you know, they're not discovered for weeks or months. And there are now cleaning companies dedicated to cleaning out the apartments of these people who've died alone. And I watched a documentary on this and they talked to the manager and he says, you know, it's a complicated job because it is a business. So obviously we want phone calls, but when we get a phone call, we know it's bad news. But he said, you know, cleaning out the apartments of someone who's died, it's, it's a spiritual process for me. And he actually used the word ikigai. It's like, it's a meaningful work. It gives me a sense of purpose. So even something that unpleasant and maybe difficult to process, if you think it's worth doing and gives your life meaning, that can be an ikigai source. So yeah, and that, that man who, who was interviewed, he was actually a failed musician. He wanted to be a jazz musician. And so he still plays jazz as a hobby, but yeah, his story is interesting because he remembered his grandmother dying and he remembered his mother having to clean out her house and do all this work. And it was obviously hard for his mother. So maybe that memory made him realize, oh, this is important work to, to help the dead move on to the other side. So that was, yeah, that was a really interesting perspective of Ikigai can be, you know, challenging, but meaningful work as well. Yeah. So that's a few examples, everything from, you know, camping to playing music, to playing soccer, to, you know, really unpleasant sort of like work cleaning out the apartments of dead people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is crazy. I, thank you for sharing because it's, I, I didn't know that, to be mm. honest. Um, and I obviously I didn't watch the documentary or I didn't watch the interview. So maybe you can send me the link. I would love to. Maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> I would have freaked out. Um, so yeah. Um, so now I want to talk about your book because your book actually is not just Ikigai, but like I said, Ikigai Kant, which is I, I think is a word behind you, right? Yeah. Ikigai Kant. Mm. So what is Ikigai Kant? I know you, uh, you mentioned about feelings or about something that you feel, but of course for people like me who can read Chinese, I obviously like understand it like very quickly. But for people like because most of our listeners are in the US actually, so they wouldn't understand this um the Chinese word so or Japanese word. How is it different from Ikigai? Your like why why do you add the Kant yeah. into your your book? That's a good question. So the reason why I chose Khan is actually I'm referencing the work of a research pioneer. Her name was Kamiya Mirko. Uh, or Mirko Kamiya, so Mirko being her first name. And she was really Japan's first researcher on Ikigai. And she wrote a book in the 1960s. And she defined Ikigai as you have Ikigai sources. So that could be relationships, hobbies, people. And then Ikigai Khan are the feelings associated to that um, object. And she did a lot of research on uh, her main research group were people with uh, leprosy. So these people who were treated really badly by Japanese society, they were shipped off to islands, isolated, they were given their basic needs, but many of them were blind, they had, you know, skin disfiguration, they couldn't have children. So they had a pretty hard life and she wanted to see how do people who really, they have their basic needs met, but maybe they can't contribute. How do they find significance? And so she studied them and she found that if they could 
yeah, if they could feel a sense of purpose or a sense of um, life meaning, even in small things, they would want to live. Where most of them really did struggle with, um, you know, living and some attempted suicide. But she found, for example, one mus- one one male wanted to learn the harmonica. So he was blind, he had no fingers, but he used to read Braille with his lips and tongue. And he would dedicate himself so much to that he would bleed. But that really gave him ikigai, you know, playing the harmonica would make him feel happy and joyful. So it was, yeah, the, the book I decided to call the book Ikigai Khan, obviously for two reasons. One was there were already so many books called Ikigai already, but I wanted to highlight, oh, it is something you feel. And I wanted to bring some recognition to Kami Amirko, who is, yeah, she really is a pioneering researcher. And I think we all know that when you talk about philosophy or psychology, you often hear the term, you know, the fathers of. And for some reason, women get no recognition for their contribution in these fields. So I wanted to make sure that she got some recognition. Um, the mother's of. Yeah, the mother of Ikigai. So I, I refer to her as the mother of Ikigai. And unfortunately, her book is only in Japanese. Um, so it's hasn't been translated to any other language, but... You could help translate it, right? You could be the one. <laughs> could try. It'll just take a long time. I, you need a professional. It's it's a very well-researched um, book. She, she had a very unusual life. So she lived in Geneva when she was a child. She lived in the States. So she was a, a linguist, a translator. She became a psychologist psychiatrist, a professor. She even tutored the former princess Michiko. She, yeah, she translated Marcus Aurelius's meditations. She was just an amazing woman. And then she really wanted to write. So her ikigai was writing. So even though she was very successful as an academic and she was also a mother and had, you know, two children writing, was the one thing she really wanted to do. And, yeah, she did that fairly late. She started writing, I guess, in her mid-40s. Yeah. So we could understand it as ikigai feeling, ikigai awareness, ikigai perception is what ikigai can would translate to. Right, love that. So now (laughs) what is your ikigai? Because you talk about her ikigai. So what is, I want to know, what is Nicolas Kemp ikigai? (laughs) Well, it's actually something like this, talking to people. Um, might might sound strange, but I guess it's, yeah, it's connecting with people and then feeling some sort of intimacy. So it could be intellectual intimacy, emotional intimacy, uh, experiential intimacy when you do something together with someone, um, even creative intimacy maybe as, you know, I also make music. So, yeah, for me, it is something like this, meeting new people, talking to them. Um, but it's also playing guitar. So I play guitar. So I like to express myself with that. And I love learning. So I guess researching Ikigai is also my Ikigai. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Researching Ikigai is also my Ikigai. <laughs> so I play with words. Okay, what is the one key message um, that your book really want to bring across, that people read this book, you really want them to like really understand what is one key message? I think the key message I would say is open your mind to the idea of having a long conversation on this subject or really on any subject that's foreign to you. So I think in the West, we try to define things quickly and think, oh, yeah, I know what Ikigai is. It's, you know, it's a Venn diagram. But this book came about from actually from all my podcast guests and a lot of research. And so there's all these different opinions from professors to authors to Japanese artists like calligraphers, and they all share their their ideas and thoughts about Ikigai. So the book is almost like me having these long conversations with many different people trying to be respectful and to understand this uh, unique Japanese cultural concept, which is 
yeah, which is universal. So I guess, yeah, that's the, the message is open your mind up to Ikigai and all the different perspectives. And I think if you do, then you're going to realize, wow, we have so much to live for and we can appreciate what we already have in life. And life feels, you know, feels wonderful most of the time. We're, we're very lucky to be living in this time with all the opportunities we have. Right. So for people, for, for me and you, of course, it would be easier for us to find our Ikigai or to feel, you know, life worth living. Um, but for some people, they, you know, because I talk to a lot of people and they say, Joanne, you know, I, I don't know what is my purpose. I don't know what, what is my passion. I just don't know. I don't know what I want to do, right? Maybe they are stuck in a nine-to-five job and they're just like not passionate about it. You know, they want to get out of it. But also at the same time, they don't really know why they are here what is the work they are meant to do? So how would you how would you lead someone to really find their ikigai or to really like feel alive or create a life worth living? If they are not if they are not they don't even know themselves, like they don't even have the answer. Okay, that's a good question. And I think there's two things, there's two approaches. So you can focus on really appreciating the small things that you already have and explore new things like hobbies or connect with more people or um, try new food or take up a new hobby. And I know for a lot of people, that's not the answer they want. They want to, they want to find that purpose. And so if, if we think about purpose, if we look at um, the Japanese word for purpose is shimei, and, and maybe you'd, I think you'd know the, Kanji, I wonder if I can write it in the message and you might be able to see it. So, oh, I would love that. So, but please don't write me in Japanese. <laughs> I wouldn't read Japanese. But you might be able to read the... Um, yeah, the Chinese, the Chinese. Chinese. Yeah. yeah. So, so that is Shimeika. Ah, okay. yeah, I can read that. So the first two characters, Shimei, you would know for the first word, she is also used as a verb for scow to mean use. So it means use. And then the second character is inochi, which means a life. And then we have kan, feeling. So shimei just means purpose. And then shimei kan means a sense of purpose. So if you really think about the, the kanji here or the Chinese characters, you could think purpose is the way you use your life. So if you're looking for your purpose, you need to reflect on how do I want to use the life that has been given to me? And it has been given to you. Every day we wake up to a new opportunity to use our life. So this question would really go back to your values and what you care about and who you want to help. And the answer's not easy. I think the problem is we're very much focused on uh, success and um, external uh, Things like stuff. things, yeah. yeah, materialism, but also recognition. But we need to go back to who am I? What do I care about? And if you can think about this question and maybe journal, how do I want to use my life? Because that's what you do. You don't suddenly someday become successful and famous and then everything's okay. You don't have to worry about anything. We constantly have to deal with problems in our life, there are challenges. But if you have something you really care about and you're using your knowledge and your skills and your life experience, that's a way to not only find purpose, but to express it. You're, you're sort of expressing or you're living up to your purpose. So how do you want to use the life that has been given to you? If you can answer that, <laughs> you've found your purpose. Now, it might take some time, though. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say it's a tough question to answer. <laughs> Even for myself, you know, I actually written it down, mm. these two questions, like what, how do I want to use my life and mm. what do I really care about? Because how often do we actually ask ourselves this question? No, right? I don't think so. Even for people like you and me, you know, I don't think every day we wake up, maybe you do, but I don't really, <laughs> no, not every day that I wake right. up, you know, it's all about what do I want to do today, you know? It's like all about work and business and even like podcasts, right? But, for people who are lost, mm. or maybe they're feeling a bit lost or feeling a bit depressed or directionless, maybe 
this is like really the two questions to yeah. get them smarter. You know, how do I want to use my life? Yeah. Because it's so profoundly like we were given, you know, this life, you know, and we, we take it for granted. We do, yeah. But how long time, you know, our time is limited. You don't know, you know, how much money you have in the bank account, but you don't know how much time you have left in your time account. So really, I would encourage people to actually, because people who listen to my podcast, they are into like personal development, right? So, I would encourage you to ask yourself these two questions today. Like, how do I want to use my life? And what do I really care about? Yeah. And I also personally have to reflect on these two questions because <laughs> yeah, I don't really ask myself these two questions. I ask all the time to my clients, right? How they find a purpose. But I kind of know my purpose, which is like to bring joy to the world, which is why this podcast is called Find Joy, Joy. So yeah. And uh, thank you so much for sharing that. That is really helpful. That's right. I'll, 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 add, to, I'll add one more aspect to this. Because that is very broad. We can also think about role. So we all have roles in our life. You know, we might have the role as a parent or a a partner, but you have your professional roles and you're a speaker, a coach, a podcaster. So you can always think, what kind of role do I want to be? So what kind of coach do I want to be? What kind of parent do I want to be? So if I thought about what kind of father do I want to be? I want to be playful. I want to be caring. I want to be fun. I want to be um, proactive. So if I want to be playful, fun, caring, and proactive, I then need to think about what are the values tied to that? How do I, how do I action those values? And maybe for you as a, as a speaker, you want to be professional, engaging, maybe a little bit fun, um, you know, show that you care. So you can also tie this question to role and you can think about, what kind of partner do I want to be? What kind of coach do I want to be? What kind of child, like what kind of son or daughter do I want to be? And that might help you also find that sense of purpose. Yeah, that is a great question. Mm. Because most of the time we ask ourselves, what do I want to achieve, right? Mm. And what do I want to get? How much, how much money I want to make? But we don't really <laughs> ask ourselves, who do I need to be in order to get that, right? Yeah. Who do I need to be in order to achieve that? Because it's not really about the how, but the who, who do you need to be? Yeah. Because we are human being, not human doing. Um, so thank <laughs> you so much. I really love that. What kind of role do you want to, to be? be? Yeah. It's a really great question. Um, thank you. Anything, anything else you want to add? Oh, there could be many things, but I think, I mean, that's probably a good, good area to, yeah, think about what, what kind of person do you want to be? Um, and I think we both understand appreciating I mean, look at us. We don't know each other. We're connecting. We're having a meaningful conversation. And we, we're lucky to do this with technology. And so we, we're both educated. We both have, you know, uh, probably a, a good life. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're really lucky to be living in this time. And we have lots of opportunity to learn and grow and to contribute. So just you've got to find and feel <laughs> that life is worth living, I think. Yeah. Right. It is worth living. But because actually I also personally, I went through depression. So I know what it felt like to be in a place where life wasn't worth living. Hmm. I, I know that feeling because I was in that place before. So for people who are like really depressed, I'm talking about depression. And because we just talk about people who ended their life and people had to have to come to their house and clean it out, right? So people who really reach a point where they feel like life isn't worth living anymore and um, they want to way out. So what, what do you think about people who really like feel like they are, their life isn't worth living? What would you say to them if, let's say, very unfortunately, you have someone who call you up and say, you know, Nicholas, I, I just feel like I'm, I don't want to do this anymore, you know. How would you help that in that very moment? That's... I mean that. I know it's a tough question. That is a tough question, but I think everyone goes through bouts of depression. I I have and yeah, struggled. So I I do have some understanding, and I think there's a few ways to to think about how to pull yourself out of depression. So I think this is a universal answer that a lot of people might say is help someone who's less fortunate than you. So that's, that's one way to get perspective is there's always someone, yeah, there's maybe there's hundreds of people who are 
enjoying life more than you and they're more successful than you, all that sort of thing. But then there's, there's millions of people doing it a lot harder than you. So you can always help someone. The, the, the thing about Ikigai, if we're talking about Ikigai specifically, it's, it's strange, this will sound strange, but it's proactive, meaning you will only feel Ikigai, or not only, but you will feel Ikigai if you're proactive with your life, if you're doing things. So you need to action things. You need to get out and do things, help others, learn things. So I think one thing I've thought about and I reflected on my own depression was why was I depressed when I had all these positive things in my life? I think one was I wasn't expressing my values. I was, I was in a role at work um, where I, was, I felt insignificant, I felt useless, it was meaningless work. So that really, after you know, several months, I started to think, I'm really struggling with this job and I was, I was really getting depressed and I was compromising my values. I, I, I should have quit. I quit that job, but I should have quit earlier. So that's one thing I think where we're often living a life where we're not being true to our values because of either because of work or a relationship and we're not just being self-authentic. And if you, you can do that for a while, yeah, you can manage it, you can get through it. But if you're living a lie for months and months and months or years, you're going to struggle with life and you will get down. Um, And I mean, these are my thoughts. And obviously I'm not a counsellor or a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but I I think try and be proactive, help other people less fortunate than you. And... Yeah, think about it. Think, am I expressing my values? And if you're not, find a way to express your values. I totally can relate to that because when I now when I think back on why was I depressed, I also felt like it was because of the job that I was doing that I wasn't passionate about, mm. right? And I was I felt like I'm in the moment I felt like I could do so much more, but I I, I wasn't doing it which is why I really also quit your job, quit my job like you. And I actually went on, you know, study about coaching. And because I, I then I went into depression, actually. Then uh, I got a coach. I got myself a coach who actually helped me, you know, during that period of time. That's why I see the value of coaching. I know it's transformational. It really can help people. It helped me, which is why I want to be, become a coach as well and help other people mm. uh, with my own experience. So I later I studied about coaching and then went on to start my podcast. This is like how I become who I am today. So, I totally agree. It's because when you're doing things that you're really not passionate about, you don't care, mm. for a long period of time, you will get depressed. Yeah. There are also some people, they know what they're passionate about. They know what they want to do, but they are so scared. Yeah. It's just like, I don't want to leave my <laughs> comfort zone, you know? So what What can they do? Oh, one thing you can do, and this is from a Japanese neuroscientist called Ken Mogi, who's written a book called The Little Book of Geeky Guy. And he has a five-pillar framework and he's one of his pillars of ikigai essentially and we could understand it as a this this framework as a coaching tool is start small so i think we've developed a all or nothing attitude in especially in the west you know if it's if i'm not 100% in it's not worth it why bother yeah we have this this attitude or in japan they're very different Japan kind of seemed to understand you can only start small. There's always a first step, a first decision. Uh, I remember the day I thought, oh, this ikigai thing's all misunderstood. Someone should do something about it. And I thought, well, it can't be me because I, I really don't know anything about it. Like I'm not an academic. But then like a year later, I kept seeing it and I thought, well, okay, I'll, I'll do something. But what can I do? And then I thought, well, I've, I've got to learn about it. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll start a podcast. And so to start the podcast, well, I need a domain name. So I've got to come up with a domain name. So starting really small, and now I've managed to build a, a, business, a business and write a book, but it really started with this one decision, thinking about it. 
So start small and do the first little decision and action it, you know, if it's buying a domain name or if it's coming up with a, a book idea or a book title or if it's signing up for some coaching or learning something. And then once you start moving, once you feel, oh, I'm growing, I'm learning, you never know where it will take you. I, I barely got through high school. I really struggled with English. I had to take extra English as a subject. Is that why I'm off to Japan? <laughs> yeah, so probably as well, yeah. But actually, I, I taught in English in Japan, which is ironic. But, yeah, you, you never know. So you, you can end up doing the one thing you ne never thought you would do, and that for me was writing a book. And I, you know, I don't love writing. It's not my bliss, but it's, it's meaningful. So I, I take the challenge on. Um, and I'll, you know, I'll probably write another book. Who knows? So... But it always comes back to this idea of starting small. Yeah. Right. I love yeah. that. I love that idea because sometimes we think about, we look at the final destination, but we don't really ask ourselves, so what is the first step that I need to take in order to get there, right? Because it's not, you can't get there right away. It's not, there's no overnight success. You have to start small. I really love that. Mm. Thank you so much. Now, you mentioned something very interesting I want to talk to you about. You mentioned about Western culture and Japanese culture. I want to know... Because you, uh, as a Westerner in Australia, moving to Japan, I'm sure you have some culture shock as well. But um, why do you love Japan so much? Why is it really about Japan or Japanese, you know, in particular, like that, that made you want to stay, stay for long? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's such a fascinating culture where everything is different, slightly different or radically different. So... When you first go there, it's, it is fascinating and you, you're just constantly soaking in all these different cultural um, customs and the language and the food. For me, it's often really it's been the connections, the people. I've, some of my best friends are Japanese. And so learning, you know, learning a different perspective on life and learning that things can be done differently then, of course, you've got this incredible history and the culture alone, the different cultural aspects from their fine arts or their martial arts or their, you know, their everyday customs. Yeah, when you open your mind to it, um, you realise, wow, this, this, is, this country is one of the most uh, culturally and historically deep um, fascinating countries or cultures in the world and you could live there a hundred lives a thousand lives and you'd still be learning so I think I feel I'm always learning but I do love how it's a, a culture built on these themes of you know harmony connection to nature um, and it's it's very much I think in the West we're very individualistic. We value the, these themes of self-actualization and, you know, being the best version of ourselves, all that sort of thing. But in Japan, you know, unity, harmony, um, being in harmony with others. And Japanese probably do that to an extreme where it is unhealthy. So... You know, I think it's really important. It's important for me to recognise, yeah, it's, it's not all good. You know, a lot of Japanese modern cultures got problems. But under, underneath it all, these cultural themes of connection and harmony to people or nature is something I've really come to appreciate and that, ah, we, 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 don't have to, we don't have to be this best version of ourselves. We can just be our true self and connect with others and learn and often say less and learn, learn from others. So I think, yeah, I'm just always learning. Even now, um, I'm constantly learning. And it's just, it's just refreshing. I feel, I feel like it's my spirit country in, in many ways. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Because if you are not growing, then we are dying. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so 
Is that the biggest lesson that you have learned um, from Japanese culture, like connection, harmony, unity? And actually, how do they do that? Does it mean they, they gather all day and every day? You know, or how, how do they actually do that or incorporate that you know, into their daily life? So I guess there's a few things. It's culturally ingrained from a very young age to, to fit in. Um, okay. There's all these expressions. There's a famous expression. The the nail that sticks out gets you know gets hammered down. So in Japan, it's it's not encouraged to be too individualistic. Um, there's also a strong emphasis on um, you know not causing trouble for others, and that's that's something I remember hearing all the time. My my son was born in Japan and he spent his first three years there, and he spent one year at kindergarten, and you know. Where maybe in Western culture, we might say, you know, good boy, have a good day, love you. In Japan, it was more like, it was, I mean, it directly translates to don't cause trouble, but it kind of meant be good. But I was really shocked, like, oh, okay, you're guiding your children by saying don't cause trouble today as a, almost like a daily expression. So it's, it's ingrained. And then, of course, Japanese try to avoid conflict. So their whole language and their whole, the way they communicate is designed in a way to avoid conflict. Um, and so you'll, you'll often hear foreigners, you know, foreign companies struggle with the initial business meetings with Japanese because Japanese often come, as, come off as vague or they're not really saying anything. Um, so often... Yeah, this this communication can be really hard to understand when you're not Japanese and you, you go and live there. But it's all designed to to maintain harmonious relationships which Japanese value. So yeah, I think that's why they seek this harmony and unity to avoid conflict. Whereas in Australia, you know, it's like it's okay to say what you think. You can say what you think and yeah. your opinion, my opinion, whatever, who cares, as long as we get to say it. Um, and I think in, you know, maybe more so in the States where you often talk about, you know, you hear freedom of speech and I say what I want when I want, whereas Japanese will say, well, I have my own opinions and thoughts, but if I say this now, is it really going to add benefit? Is it really going to add any social benefit and going back to this neuroscientist Ken Moggy he said you you never know when you can alienate alienate someone so it only takes one word or one comment to alienate someone and so Japanese are aware of that whereas I guess in Western culture we, we feel we have a right to say what we want you know we have a right to say our, our opinion so I think finding that balance it's been yeah. a challenge for me, but a, a helpful challenge. Yeah. Right. I know I could talk to you forever, <laughs> but this, because I really want to touch on this one last sure. thing that you talk about. I really want to ask, I will not sleep if I didn't ask this <laughs> question. So you talk about the, uh, so what I'm, based on what I'm hearing right now is that you're saying Japanese, they tend to hold back because it's like, um, they will ask themselves, is what I'm going to say really, you know, add value to, the people around me but early on you also talk about expressing our own true self right so how do you again how do you find a balance does it mean the word you hold back from what you really want to say but it's like true to you but maybe it doesn't add value to add much value mm. to the people around you how do you then decide okay is this what i'm gonna say or am i not gonna say it? like am i expressing my true self or am i actually not so I think that's a judgment call and there's always context. So obviously with family and friends, you could probably feel free to express yourself fully. Yes. Yeah, so I think in the context of family and friends and even Japanese obviously can do this, you, you just express your true feelings. And then outside of that, maybe with acquaintances, work colleagues, um, people you don't know very well or strangers, you, you evaluate the situation and think, okay, I want to say this, but 
how important, how important is it to me to say this right now? And I think there's this expression, the, you know, like the smartest person in the room is often the person who's the most quiet <laughs> because they're the one observing. So you can always be the observer. But I think it's a judgment call at the end of the day. If you really want to say something and you want to express your true self, you should feel definitely that you can do that. Um, but, yeah, just always consider the people around you as well because we, we often have to fight to express ourselves and we should be able to do that, um, especially if we're struggling with our identity and we, we want to become you know, going back to that question, what kind of role do I want to become? Sometimes we do have to um, fight for that that role and that self-expression, but we don't always have to be um, expressing our opinions and views to everyone. Yeah. That is, they can become, you know, they can be arrogance, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But of course, when I ask that question, I mean like people who, maybe people who struggle to really like express themselves, they feel like they have to please others all the time. Uh, they have to do what others, you know, all these things. Um, because um, a lot of my listeners or even people that I work with because I'm a confidence coach, I work with a lot of people on their confidence. It's like they just want to fit in, you know, they want to please others, want everyone to like them, you know. So that's the reason why I asked that question. Yeah. That is a good question. And there's, I mean, in a, perhaps in a way to answer that, there's going back to Ken Moggy again, that five pillar framework. His other advice is release yourself. And so this is probably the hardest one. And what it means is to fully accept who you are. So this idea that you can accept your yourself, acknowledge you have, you know, problems and issues and fears. And it, it's sort of this way of, well, if I acknowledge all this, I can move forward to then start expressing um, myself. And I, I think we all know the people who are most critical of others secretly are kind of the most critical of themselves and that they haven't accepted themselves. But, yeah, I mean, confidence, that's, that's hard and, and it might relate to life experience, upbringing, uh, all those things. So I also think helping other people express themselves and, and finding confidence and, and helping them become, you know, who they want to be is really important. And, yeah, we live in a complicated, chaotic world where there's all this uh, mixed messaging. But I think it goes back to, yeah, again, trying to express your authentic values. Um, but, again, yeah, it's not always easy to do. <laughs> Yeah, it's not easy to do, right? And I know I can talk to you forever, like I said. I really wish I could have all, you know, like at least two hours with you. But, <laughs> but anyway, we can always have another conversation. I feel like we can, we have so much to talk about, right? Um, So thank you so much again for taking your time out. Now we're going to end with our final five rapid fire oh, questions. Okay. So these are the five questions <laughs> that I ask all my guests at the end of the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Great. First question. What is one thing you wish you knew earlier? One thing I wish I knew earlier, um, to be kinder to yourself. Mm, great. <laughs> Second question. If you could live your life all over again, what would you do differently? Ooh, um, gee, that's an interesting one. What would I do differently? I'd probably, I would have studied Japanese harder when I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Okay. Third question. What is something you are trying to learn or curious about right now? Oh, that's an interesting one. I'm actually trying to learn the shakuhachi. Um, I'll just, okay. just give me one minute. Sure. sure. So I'll just... So this, maybe you know the shakuhachi. It's a bamboo flute. Oh, it's, it's very hard to um, make a sound. So the struggle is making you your try? first sound. So yeah. You want to try <laughs> on my podcast? Okay. Oh, this is embarrassing. <laughs> Let me try. So 
something like that. <laughs> that is beautiful. Wow. So yeah. Awesome. No, thank you. Thank you for that. I really love that. You, you played it quite well. No, I'm just beginning, but um, it's it's really interesting because okay. it's only got it's only got five notes. So you've got maybe three octaves, but yeah, it's. It's probably going to take a long time <laughs> for me to, yeah. to learn. And you see the, the mouthpiece is, it's, yeah, it's really yeah. hard. So it's quite hard to get that um, first sound. I took an online lesson with a, essentially a shakuhachi wow. master and yeah, I just could not get any, <laughs> it was just blowing wind and wind and wind. And then <laughs> finally at the end, I got sort of one sound and I was like, oh, wow finally got it so um but yeah it's a beautiful instrument so i'd like to work on that harder yeah i think there's a lost art right <laughs> not many people do yeah. it now yeah yeah japan's <laughs> losing a lot of its unique yeah cultural practices just because of change in technology and so mm. that's that's a bit sad yeah and this is your new yeah. guy maybe it's a bit of a, it's a oh, there's, there's actually, there's another word we could talk about, uh, manabi guy. So when you learn something in Japanese, you use the verb manabu. So something worth learning becomes manabi guy. Uh, so yeah, that's one thing we, just before we, oh no, we've got two more questions or three more questions, two more questions, but yeah, guy can be added to added to other Japanese verbs. So a, a far more common word in Japanese is yarigai, which means just worth doing. So that's far more common, used every day, whereas ikigai, most people probably wouldn't talk about that much. Um, so this guy oh, wow. is added to many, many verbs. And so okay. from that, we can understand why ikigai is not a special word to Japanese. It's just like a a regular word yeah you're gonna write another book on this <laughs> no way you call it money boo guys guy. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> you're gonna write another book on this like your second book yeah, i will maybe yeah for it. We'll, we'll have another yeah. podcast yeah <laughs> yes let me know okay the fourth question is if you have five minutes and the whole world was listening to you what would you say Five minutes, I would pretty much what we've talked about, I would say find a way to express your values, contribute to others, be, be kind to yourself and use your unique imagination to express your creativity. That's what mm -hmm. I'd say. So, and that can be in a role, it can be in something creative, it can be in your work, it can be in your parenting, it can be in your friendship but use your unique imagination to express yourself. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> unique imagination to express yourself. Yeah. I really love that. This is the first time that I hear someone actually put it this way, like unique imagination. Like what do we mean by that actually? What is unique imagination? Well, this is interesting because this ties, this goes back to this pioneering researcher, Mia Kamiya, and she mm -hmm. frames self-actualization as using your unique imagination to express yourself. So she gave the example of her writing her own book and she basically said, no one's had the life experience I have had, no one's had the thoughts or no one has the thoughts that I have, um, no one's lived the life that I have and I can give expression to them in writing. And so even though she's writing a book and many other people can write a book, her book is unique. And so I guess in a way, my book is, you know, unique. And so we can apply this to, you know, coaching or speaking. If you're a confidence coach, you probably do it slightly differently or very differently to other coaches, but you could really think about how do I want to best help my clients? How can I use creative, unique ways to help them grow, to help them find confidence? So yeah, it's something you draw from your yourself. This is why we, you know, we have so many different artists or sports mm. people who we all love, not because they're the, the best, but because they do things uniquely and we connect to that yeah. uniqueness because we find it inspiring or attractive or, or amazing. Yeah. yeah. 
totally love that because <laughs> there's only you, there's only one you, right? There's no second That's you. Right. You are the you are unique. Yeah. yeah. And the last question is, what brings you joy? Stuff like this, meaningful conversation, uh, seeing my son smile, and uh, he's he's eighteen, so he's wow. a little bit bigger. But um, <laughs> yeah, being playful with him, we, we're almost like brothers now. We have these playful banter and. We're sort of always teasing each other. So he brings me um, joy. And, yeah, hugs from my wife, that, that always brings me joy. So stuff like that, the small stuff, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much again. I know I took a lot of your time and thank oh, you so yeah. much. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people, they want to get to know you more. Or they even want to, like, what would be your join your community or buy your book? Where can I send people to you? Sure, there's, um, so I guess... For the, the book, you can go to Ikigai Khan. So that's spelled with a, a K. So ikigaikan.com. And I've actually started a book um, club. So if people buy the book, they can also join a book club. And then my other site is ikigaitribe.com. And that offers sort of some training on, on the concept. And of course, like you, I have a podcast. So if people look up the Ikigai podcast, they should find my podcast. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. All right, guys. I hope you love this episode. I love this episode so much and I'm learning so much from Nick. So go follow Nick. Go to his website, you know, connect with him, join his community, buy a book on Amazon and also <laughs> listen to his podcast and check out all the other amazing things that he is doing. And if you are not following me, follow me on Instagram at joanne.chant and Take a screenshot of this episode and tell me and Nick, what is your biggest takeaway from this episode? And if you haven't subscribed yet, hit the subscribe button so you never miss <laughs> another episode. And I will always leave you the same way as I leave you every other episode. Show up. The world needs you and you need you. Thanks for listening and I wish you all a joyful and amazing day ahead. Thanks again to our sponsor, Get a Law of Attraction. Follow them on Instagram for daily spiritual enrichment and encouragement, especially if your spiritual ice cream cone is melting a bit, you will get a fresh scoop of your favorite flavor of spiritual encouragement and insights. Find your with Joanne listeners will get $25 off when you go to their website and use promo code Joanne, J-O-Y-A-N, when you sign up for their Law of Attraction course and gratitude journal. Once again, that is Joanne, J-O-Y-A-N, for $25 off, and their links are in the show notes below. Thank you again for tuning to Find Joy with Joanne podcast. If you love and enjoy today's episode, you can help support this podcast in one of three ways. One, take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your IG story and tag me at joanne.chant so I can repost and connect with you. Two, share this podcast with a friend or family member. And three, leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts so we continue to grow and reach more listeners worldwide. And make sure you also subscribe so you don't miss out on any episode coming Wednesday. And my joyful friends, until next time, keep showing up. Success doesn't show up for you until you show up and pursue your own success. Again, thanks for being here and I will see you soon in the next episode.